Hey, this is John Pennington, and welcome to the Big Bang Bible Podcast. Uh, this is episode 102. Now, listen, on this one, this is called Why Was There a War in Heaven? And, you know, look, heaven's supposed to be a peaceful place, but then in the Bible it says there was a war there. So that's why I had to write this one. However, this is one that's an extension of my previous podcast, number 101, entitled What About the Boy in China? So if you haven't heard that one, please go back and listen to What About the Boy in China? and then listen to this one. It'll make a lot more sense. Anyway, I hope you like it. And it's uh, entitled, Why Was There a War in Heaven? Do you have difficulty bringing science and religion together? Do you need analytics and logical fact patterns to organize the scriptures? Do you have a science professor who's trying to drive a wedge between you and your belief in God? On this show, we are on a voyage to merge, unite, and consolidate the gospel with new discoveries in statistics, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, and the Bible. Join me and follow along to answer these questions with a drop of my Latter-day Saint perspective. Welcome to the Big Bang Bible Podcast with me as your host, John S. Pennington Jr. All right, this is really a continuation of What About the Boy in China? So if you haven't listened to that first, you probably need to listen to it before you listen to this. Anyway, let's get started. And this is entitled, Why Was There a War in Heaven? Or, There Was a War in Heaven with a Question Mark. So after I learned about the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12 2, and also that there were three different types of glory in the resurrection, and I learned about baptisms for the dead in 1 Corinthians 15 29, and I learned about the spirit world as Peter taught it in his book in the New Testament, I went home and read these scriptures over and over because I just wanted to make sure I was reading them correctly. I did this for a few weeks, and then the missionaries came back and finished the story. And true to form, they finally told me the beginning of the story, but of course, they told it to me last. The missionaries taught me further about my spirit, and that my spirit was a creation of God. They told me that my spirit was organized and existed long before I was born here upon the earth. Well, as you can imagine, this was a new concept to me. They also told me that Jesus' spirit existed before he was born on this earth also. Before I came to earth, I was a spirit child of our Heavenly Father. Here are some scriptures that will verify this point. Okay, the first one is in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. And God is talking directly to Jeremiah. And this is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God knew Jeremiah before he was even formed in the womb. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 17, verse 29. It says, For as much then are we the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. Unquote. Basically, if we are the offspring of God, then God is your father. He's not made of gold. He's not made of stone he's probably going to look like you and me. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? God is the Father of our spirits. That's the point. All right, this next scripture, Jesus is talking directly to his Father in, uh, this is John chapter 17, verse 5. And he says, And now, O Father, glory thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee 
before the world was, unquote. Jesus says here that before the world was, Jesus had glory with the Father. Jesus Christ is acknowledging that he existed before the world was. Now, these next uh, verses are key scriptures. It's talking about when the disciples find a blind man. And this blind man has been blind since birth. And that's very important to the story. The disciples were conversing with Jesus about this man. And it says in, this is John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Unquote. What's interesting here is they're asking him, did this man sin before he was born? The disciples knew that he was born blind, and they were assuming that his punishment because of a sin was that he was born blind, a sin that had to have occurred before he was born. Now, the master, Jesus Christ, doesn't correct them by saying, what do you, what do you mean before he was born? Because Jesus does not comment or correct their assumption that this man had some opportunity to sin before he was born, and therefore, by definition, must have existed in some fashion before he was born. Okay, so because the missionaries told me that God the Father did not actually create the world, but that he gave the plan and allowed Jesus Christ to create the world, well, I can tell you, this was another new concept and a mystery in heaven. And the book of Ephesians acknowledges this mystery in, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Unquote. See, Jesus had to have been in the beginning with God. Okay, this is another one. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Unquote. So who made the worlds? The Son did. Who's the heir of all things? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made the world under the direction of the Father. The Bible says that the Son made the worlds, not the Father. Now, wow, this is really, really a mystery. And I'm so glad that the book of Ephesians and the book of the Hebrews cleared that up. So who created all things? God did it. But he did it through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the actual being that created the world, but it was under the direction of God the Father or God's plan. God said, I have a plan, and Jesus Christ is going to go fulfill the plan. Now, let's go to Genesis. It talks about the body of Adam and God having a, to place a cherubim and a flaming sword in front of the tree of life. Because if Adam now eats of the tree, he will live in his body forever. This raises another presumption, being that it's possible for Adam's body to last forever. Why is it possible that Adam's body can last forever? The answer is because this body was made in the image of us. Now you're asking the question, I know. What is us? Well, let's define it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. 
And it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Unquote. It appears that there are other beings present with God when he created Adam's body. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Unquote. Who is us? Who's God talking to? So from John chapter 17, verse 5, we learn that Jesus had glory before the world was, and therefore he is probably us. I assume the Holy Ghost was there. The point is, God's not talking to himself if he's using the word us and our. Okay, so also, Adam is made in the image of God. Now, many religions do not actually believe this even though it's written in the very first chapters of the Bible. To me, it's very simple that God was not alone when he created the earth. And when he created the bodies for Adam and Eve, he wasn't alone. He keeps using the term us, including Jesus Christ. He created a man that looks something like himself in his own image. Now, the missionaries basically said, that in the beginning, before the world was, God the Father, and there was Jesus Christ along his side. And all of our spirits were there. God, being the Father of our spirits, said, Okay, you guys, you spirits, you've progressed as far as you possibly can as a spirit. To further your knowledge and understanding, I have a plan to create an earth and people this earth so that each spirit can grow and have experiences in a body. You'll be able to experience an existence that here to before would be impossible for you to do. This earth will be my plan, but my son, Jesus Christ, will fulfill my plan by building the earth and governing the earth and eventually going to the earth himself and taking on a body of flesh and blood also. He will cleanse the earth in the Garden of Gethsemane. He will break the bonds of death and be resurrected. He will make sure each spirit is taught before the great and judgment day of the whole plan, and he will be the judge. As you can see, this plan has risks involved. But it's the only way you will really gain valuable experiences and learn to have dominion over your bodies. Okay, now let me stop the story here a little bit. This plan that God put forth went well. It went pretty good for about two out of three parts of the spirits in heaven, or two out of three parts of the spirit children of God. But it says, there arose an angel named Lucifer who did not like the plan and presented his own plan, contrary to God the Father's plan. And a third part of the hosts of heaven were expelled from heaven by a mighty angel named Michael. This is called the first estate and or the war in heaven. Here are a few scriptures that will verify this. In the book of Jude in the New Testament, it talks about our first estate and wandering stars. Okay, this is in Jude chapter 1, verse 6. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own inhabitations, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Unquote. 
In this verse, it says that there were angels that kept not their first estate. Now, skip down a few verses to the verse 13, which is just a few verses later. It says, this is Jude chapter 1, verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. Unquote. So back in verse 6, there are angels that kept not their first estate. And in verse 13, it says that those wandering stars are going to have everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The wandering stars who kept not their first estate are basically the spirits that were the third part of heaven that followed Lucifer. And they are the ones who are reserved unto the judgment of the great day. So really, who are these wandering stars or wandering angels? Why did they not keep their first estate? In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it talks about a war in heaven. In chapter 12, verses 4, verses 7, and verses 9, it talks about Satan. This is Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4. And it says, And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them unto the earth. And then down in verse 7, it says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. And then down in verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which delivereth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Unquote. These wandering stars were angels that were a third part of the heaven, and these wandering stars in this place, called the first estate, decided to follow Satan, the dragon, and fight against Michael and his angels. And Satan's angels lost and were cast to the earth along with Satan. This is referred to as the war in heaven. So, when was this war? Well, the first time we ever hear about Satan is in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. And Satan is on the earth and tempting Adam and Eve. Therefore, the war must have happened before the Garden of Eden. Because it says Satan was cast into the earth with his angels. And how many were there? A third part. The book of St. Jude says that these are the angels which kept not their first estate. That's why this pre-earth life is referred to as the first estate. So, way back in the beginning, we were all spirit children of God, and God said, I have a plan for you. God said, you are my spirit children. You've progressed as far as you possibly can progress. Now we need to go create an earth so you can receive a body, experience and grow in your capacity. You need to grow and progress because you've grown as much as you can as spirits. You've experienced everything that you can, and it's time to move on. But for some reason, Satan says, hey, don't like that plan, don't want to go with that, and I got my angels, and we're going to follow a different path. These angels were cast out of heaven and kept not their first estate. They came to earth, but they did not receive a body because they did not go with God's plan of progression. Although the angels still want bodies to house their spirits, and Satan wants to give them bodies. Satan's angels want bodies. This whole thing, earth, is about getting a body and progressing by the experiences you have in the body. 
The spirit children of God are allowed to come to earth, receive a body because they were the spirit children of God that fought against Satan and his angels. Satan's angels want bodies, but they were kicked out of heaven. Here is a story that illuminates and illustrates how badly these fallen spirits want a body. This is in the book of Mark, chapter 5, and it describes a man that is continually in the tombs and in the mountains, cutting himself with stones and crying with a loud voice. This man had been bound by chains, and no one could tame this man. But something interesting happens when this man sees Jesus from afar off. The man runs up to Jesus and starts to worship him, crying with a loud voice, saying, this is in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, it says, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the Most High God? Unquote. Now, remember the term Most High God, and we will come back to it later in our story. Okay. But first of all, how did the man know who Jesus was from afar off? That's the first question. And second, why is he so fast to capitulate to Jesus' instructions by saying, what have I to do with thee? Now, Jesus obviously wanted to know how the man knew who Jesus was because they had never met before. Because the first thing Jesus asked him is, and this is in Mark 5, 9, it says, he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many, unquote. So this man, who he calls himself Legion, was unable to produce a proper name because there were many unclean spirits which were crammed inside this one man's body. Then Jesus says to Legion, you, you, you got to come out of there because I'm, I'm not going to allow you to reside in a man's body. How did these spirits know who Jesus was? How did they know him from afar away? These spirits knew Jesus from the first estate. They were in the war in heaven. They lost, and therefore they remember Jesus. They followed Satan and were cast to the earth. They were the angels that fell, and they want bodies. Do you know how I know they want bodies? Because Legion, who were many spirits, crammed themselves into this man's body, and Jesus tells them they've got to come out. But they request Jesus to allow them to go and inhabit the bodies of a herd of pigs. They want bodies so badly, they're willing to live inside of a pig. Now, Jesus must have laughed because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the pigs couldn't handle that kind of spirit entering into their bodies. So he says, sure, come on out. Go over to the pigs. Go ahead. So all the legion spirits come out of this man and go into these pigs. The pigs can't handle it. And the Bible says about 2,000 pigs violently ran down the mountain and into the sea, drowning themselves in the water. Thus, the legion of spirits must leave the pig's bodies also. Now, I can just imagine Jesus walking away, chuckling, shaking his head a little bit back and forth, just laughing because he, it was just probably just funny to him. But it appears that Satan, if he could, is trying to get physical bodies for the spirits that follow him. That could have been the reason why God in the Garden of Eden puts enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of Eve. God had to place enmity between the two. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
But as you see, Jesus is fulfilling God's righteous plan to make sure that all the spirits that had the faith to follow him get human bodies and not only human bodies, but Christ assures all mankind because they followed him, they will all receive resurrected bodies. Now, some of those bodies will be like the glory of the sun and some of those bodies will be like the glory of the moon. And some of those bodies will only be like the glory of a star. For each star differeth one from another. Satan's followers are referred to as wandering stars. But the followers of God's plan are not wandering, but are executing a grand plan of salvation and are spirit children of the Most High God that will eventually receive a permanent resurrected body. Now, why will all mankind receive a resurrected body? Even though some humans are very evil and some do very bad things, why are they rewarded with this resurrected body by the grace of God? Why are they saved from the bonds of death with such a great reward? Because every person on this earth was a spirit child of the Most High God. And when God put up his plan and Jesus said, I will go do the plan, we all chose with faith to follow Jesus and believe that he had the faith and the determination to complete the plan here upon the earth. That is, Jesus would create a world under God's plan, then suffer for that world in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then provide a resurrection for the world, and also he will be the judge of this world. So just listen to the next few scriptures as I read them. As Jesus tries to tell us, and as the scriptures try to tell us, who Jesus really is, okay? This is in John chapter 5, verse 22. It says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Okay, this one is in John chapter 6, verses 30 and 39. It says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And then go to John chapter 14, verse 28. It says, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. That is why the Bible refers to God the Father as the Most High God. Jesus acknowledges that he's greater than he is. Okay, so turn to Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. It says, talking about a man named Melchizedek, he was the king of Salem. And it says in this verse, that Melchizedek, king of Salem, was a priest of the Most High God. Down in verse 22, it says, Abraham lifts up his hands to the Most High God because he possesses the heaven and the earth. Okay, so go to Daniel chapter 3, verse 26. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were servants of the Most High God. Go to Acts 16, 17. It says that the apostle Paul was a servant of the Most High God. Go to, now this one's an interesting one. Go to Psalms chapter 82, verse 6. It says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. And that's why in Acts 17, 20 and 29, it says that we are the offspring of God. And in Romans 8, 17, it says, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is why when we pray, we only pray to the same being that Jesus Christ was praying to when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
That is who we pray to because all glory is unto the Most High God, God the Father. So in the end, I said to the missionaries, I get it. I really get it. We are all creations of God. First has spirit children, and some of his spirit children did not have faith in Christ and would not follow the Father's plan. So a third part of the host of heaven did not receive bodies. But the children of God that did believe in Jesus Christ would fulfill and complete God's plan. They get to receive bodies. And some of those people will have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ while on this earth and be baptized. And some of the people will hear about Jesus in the spirit world before the resurrection, like Peter talks about in 1 Peter. The point is, all will have the chance to hear about Jesus and accept his leadership and acknowledge his role as savior of the world. And both the sinner and the saint will be resurrected by the grace of God, by no work of their own. And the people who want to live in God's presence, that is, they want to live in heaven, they cannot get there by themselves. They all need Jesus Christ to get there. But once they're in heaven, they will be judged for their works and receive different mansions and responsibilities. And hopefully, they will all be able to go to the third heaven, as it states in 2 Corinthians 12.2. It all makes sense. It really makes sense. If you do good works, you increase your personal talents. You grow and become something more than what you were when you started. As you grow in works, you naturally receive more dominion over things and therefore kind of like a ruler. Your good works allow you to receive a body like the brightness of the sun, and the Lord will make you a ruler in his kingdom. He will be pleased with you what you did with your talents here upon the earth. Because in John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. There are many mansions in Father's home. If you're born in China or Mongolia, you're going to learn about Christ in spirit prison before the resurrection. It is clear that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ was not doing his own will, but he was doing the will of the Father. This is in Matthew chapter 26, and this is verse 39. And this is very important to understand who Christ really is. And it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Unquote. This is why Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of all mankind. He's not doing anything for himself. Doing things for others that they cannot do for themselves is the pure, true love of Christ. This life that is given to us allows us to progress and grow in talents. We're given dominion over our bodies here on this earth, and what we do with it is going to determine what kind of a resurrected body we're going to receive. Do you want to go to the third heaven? Do you want a body like the brightness of the sun? Then you must accept Christ and then grow your talents through good works. The boy in China, before the resurrection, will have the opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ, the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross, the resurrection, and be able to be born again and accept baptism. Once the whole world, all the people that ever lived, have had a chance, then the book of life is completed. And Jesus delivers that book to God, the Father, as a record of all of his spirit children. 
Christ has a program that allows us over time to grow and increase in talents. The program's called the Ten Commandments. If we continue to try to keep the commandments over a lifetime, it will allow us to learn to be in control, as opposed to being out of control and a slave to our passions, thus learning an important lesson in our progression to become more like Christ. Okay, here's the ending of these two chapters. I want to sum this up. It's been years and years since I had that question with my pastor way back when, and I've committed my life to Jesus Christ. Years later, my oldest son, John, was called to serve a mission, and he was called to learn the Mandarin Chinese language so that he could spend two years teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Chinese in their own language. So after a few years of being on his mission, I flew out to see him, and my son took me to visit some of the people who were all Chinese whom he had been teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to, and who were baptized. One man in particular said something that really brought this whole subject home. I was in his apartment with his family, and my son and him were talking back and forth in Chinese, of which I could not understand one thing they were saying. And then this man turned to me and looked me straight in the eye, and spoke in broken English with a heavy Chinese accent. And he said, Mr. Pennington, your son is a very very, very good man. And before I found the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was nothing. I was not a Christian. I was not a Buddhist. I was nothing. And now that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm something. Now, I got to tell you, this whole sentence that he spoke to me took about two minutes because my son had to help him with the correct English words to say. But finally, I got what he was trying to tell me. And I realized my concern about the boy in China that I had over 37 years ago with my pastor, the answer was fulfilled with me. It was the final part. I understood it. What about the boy in China? Well, you, me, my son, everyone are going to teach all of China and the whole world about Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. What a story. The main part being that God answered my question to the fullest, but it took him like 37 years for me to get the answer and to receive the full answer. As I watched with my own two eyes, a boy who was my son, grown man now, teaching in Chinese, the Chinese language, being taught to the gospel of Jesus Christ from the words coming out of the mouth of my own son. That was a very cool and a fulfilling experience, I got to tell you. Let me close by saying this. I'm just a guy reading the Bible trying to figure out the creator of the universe. It seems like an impossible task. That is, trying to understand a being who created the entire universe from a book that you can hold in your hand. It just doesn't seem possible. But what I can tell you is this, that this plan that I've just laid out to you and spoken about, has given me peace in my life time and time again. When I'm down in my life, when things aren't going good for me, I remember this plan all the way through. And it gives me purpose in life. I don't think or dwell on the bad things of life because I know it's a bigger plan. It's God's plan. I know Jesus is the Christ. I know God lives. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.